ever rejected a gift. Let me start with an earlier question. Do you like receiving gifts? Children, do you like receiving gifts? Adults, do you like receiving gifts? We all do. But I want to ask you, has there ever been a time in your life any gift that somebody may have given you that you had to reject? Most of you are nodding your head. You can't think of a gift that you've rejected. Because gifts are supposed to be received, accepted. Now, you may have not liked the gift. And what you may have done is either put it somewhere and never see it, or you may have given it to somebody else. Don't open it. Just passing on gifts, right? You may have not liked the gifts, but you've, it's embarrassing to, to say to someone, no, I, I cannot receive this. I, I need to give this back. And yet, friend, yet friends, when we think of what God has done for us, one of the ways that God describes what He has done for us is that He has given us a gift. God's Son. And yet many people choose to reject the gift of God. We saw that last week as we went through John chapter 3. A, a chapter on, on God's love. And today I would like for us to continue our theme in the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Where we'll see about how people do receive the gift of God. Would you open scripture to John chapter 4? We'll be reading the entire chapter. Now if you're using a Bible provided in the, in the, in, in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 922, and encourage you to find the passage. Because it's a long, pretty long chapter. It's, it's, more, it's less usual in length than we are typically accustomed to, but I want us to read it because this is God's Word. What else would we want to hear except God's Word? For as you're turning there, I want to remind you that this passage has been used and examined for a number of topics. Some look at this passage as a model of how to evangelize, how Jesus crossed social and ethnic barriers in order to reach out to those who are lost. Others look at this text as providing some guidelines about how to worship God in, in a true worship. And by the way, I have preached on both of these themes in the past. Um, if you're interested to remind yourself of these themes specifically, the one on true worshipers was dated on May 22, 2011. The other on reaching out to those around us, a sermon entitled A Christian for the City, was dated February 27, 2011. These are smaller themes in this text that we will read today. But what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to read and see what is John doing with the whole chapter together, not just with the individual pieces or just certain verses of this chapter. I hope by now you have found your, pay, your passage um, in the Bible. Let's read this together. Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. 
When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Side note, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as he did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you and he am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. 
but no one dared to ask, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I have ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he just said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in, in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was on his way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Amen. What a beautiful story of the way Jesus reaches out to those who needed salvation. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask God now to reveal to us 
What is it that we have to take away from this? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you that Jesus crossed the boundaries of those that did not deserve it. Father, thank you that we are part of that people. Thank you that Jesus came to us. And now we ask in these moments, would you through your Holy Spirit make this event, the, the text we have read, meaningful and apply it to our hearts that we may understand it and live it and respond to it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, the high points in this chapter are the moments when Jesus' identity is revealed. And it will happen, happen a few times thus adding to the portfolio of titles that the Gospel of John is presenting about Jesus. But here, in the Gospel, in this chapter, unlike any other parts in this Gospel, we see mostly very positive reactions that people have to Jesus. Remember, we have said in chapter 3 that even though God displayed His love for us, Men rejected that love. And as we will see from this point on, from chapter 5, and I give you a warning, we'll take two weeks, two weeks break, next two weeks, from John, but three weeks from today, we'll come back to it. From chapter 5 on to chapter 12, we enter a stage in the Gospel of John when rising opposition is escalating. This is probably the last chapter in the Gospel of John when people respond very positively to Jesus. So I want us to look at how is it that John portrays this chapter, chapter 4, accepting the gift of God. Now, if you were a Jew reading this chapter, Jesus talking about himself and, and giving the more names, more titles about himself, if you were a Jew listening to this, you would say something is right, not right here. You have to be a Jew in the first century, not today. Because all the events of this chapter, or most of them, happen in a territory that was despised by the Jews. Samaria. People did not, the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. Uh, Jesus is ready to reveal himself again, but he does it in the wrong place. It's like sending a gift. You buy a very precious gift to someone, someone dear. But when you give it, when you mail it off, you put the wrong address of the person you actually despise. It's like, why would you do that? It's a mistake. In some way, that's the feel of this chapter for any Jew in the first century. Jesus revealing himself. Jesus talking about the gift of God to those whom the Jews despised. Well, let's look at this passage. Let's look at the way this event develops. It's a wonderful picture of the grace of God who reveals himself to us, to the people that least deserve it. The first point I want us to look at is a thirsty Jesus giving living water. A thirsty Jesus giving living water. The dialogue with the Samaritan woman be be began simply because Jesus was tired from the journey 
and decided that instead of going to town with his disciples, he was going to rest at the well. He rests at the well, and he gets thirsty. And a woman comes to the well, and he does what our natural instinct would say, ask for water. Now, this is a surprise to the woman, because she was a Samaritan. She knows the etiquette. A Jew was not supposed to talk to a Samaritan, even if he's a male, let alone talk to a Samaritan who was a woman. That was just not the way to do it. Now, the first reaction the woman has is simply to dismiss the request of Jesus. But Jesus is not bothered by her hesitation. He's using his own need for water to point to the need of a different water which all people needed, including this woman, and which God alone gives. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, friends, let me ask you, do you ever think that the needs you experience in your life could be great pointers to the greater and deeper needs of mankind, which can be met only in Christ? When you experience need, when you're thirsty, and you have no place to go to, you're next to a well, but you have nothing to draw with, what do you do? Just ask for a drink, right? But Jesus does more than that. He's using this opportunity of need to talk to this woman about a greater need that both she and everyone else, every one of us has. What do you do when you're in need? Here's how most people do it. We start grumbling. We start asking God, why is it that we have no water or finances or job or why our needs are not met? We start even questioning if God really loves us. But Jesus is using a moment of need and turning it into a spiritual conversation, and here's how he does it. Our moments of need and difficulty are great opportunities to remind us of our brokenness, of our deeper needs, of our own lives, and of the, of the lives of the whole world. And it's on that backdrop that we can understand and appreciate in fresh ways the gift of God for us. In Jesus Christ. Friends, don't waste your moments of need. Don't waste them. Don't feel embarrassed about them. Jesus, the one who is the light of the world, the one through whom all things were made, is now thirsty. Do you think Jesus could have done something to quench his thirst? He, the light of the world, the one through whom everything has been created, he could have. But you know what? He's not embarrassed by his need. He's not embarrassed to talk about his need. He's not embarrassed even to reach out to a Samaritan woman to ask for help for his need. What are you doing in your moments of need? Don't be embarrassed. They're great pointers to our human condition. Now, the woman becomes a little witty in this, in, at this point. Jesus says, oh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, there was that, this guy is a little cocky here. 
He's asking for water, and now he turns the tables around against me. So the woman responds back in verse 12, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? In other words, Jacob gave the Samaritans a well, the source of water. If Jacob needed to dig in the well and to get water from, from beneath the surface, how is Jesus going to do it otherwise? Is Jesus greater than Jacob? What a great question. Now, of course, for the woman, this was a sarcastic question. Are you greater than our father? Are you greater than Abraham Lincoln? You know, if we were to think of nationalistic terms. Well, Jesus takes that perfect opportunity to say, well, let me respond to that. And he does it in two wonderful ways. He doesn't talk about his greatness. He talks about the greatness of the water he gives. He says, the water I give you is better than the water you have in this well. You drink from it now. Jesus is not saying that the water in the well is not good. He's simply saying the water in the well is only temporary because you have to come back. But the water Jesus gives is the water that quenches our thirsts forever. Christian, does this describe your life? Those of you who are followers of Christ, does this describe your life? There might be among us here this morning people who are visiting us perhaps, and you're not a Christian. We're so glad you're here. I don't expect this to be true of you yet. Because without Christ, this is not, it cannot be true of you. But I want to speak to those of you who are Christians. Is this true of you? And then Jesus goes on and says that this water he gives becomes a spring of water in us. Christian, when you hear Jesus describe these promises, do you find some resemblances of these promises in your life? You see, friends, even though Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman who did not know Jesus, there might be some of us today who are followers of Christ, but for whom these promises are still a pretty foreign reality. Your cup is low. You feel empty. You are thirsty for something and you try to fill it with other things. And theoretically, you know that Christ is the source that will quench your thirst. But you keep going to other sources of water. And some of them might be good water, but they're temporary in the satisfaction that they give. Dear Christian, the best testimony that you can give to those who still don't know Christ, the best testimony that, that Christ can have about the living water that he promises is to see that living water in those who do follow Christ. These two descriptions of the living water is Jesus' way of telling the woman, yes, he is greater than Jacob. Now, the woman is sold right away. I think this is the easiest sell I've ever seen in the Bible. The woman says, Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come to this well and draw water again. Now, this is the unexpected turn in the conversation. 
At this moment, Jesus does something that most salespeople would probably be fired if they did what Jesus did. Because Jesus fails to close the deal. The woman says, give me this water. And Jesus says, woman, go get your husband. Whoa, 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 whoa. But what if she's not coming back? What if she doesn't find Jesus again? What if, for those of you who are Baptists, allow me. In, in Baptist language, it would be like this. The woman is ready to come to Jesus, to make a decision for Jesus, but Jesus is not giving an altar call. Sends her away. Jesus doesn't even say, come to me at the end of the service. Jesus sends her away. What if this woman would die on the way to the city? What would happen to her? Somehow, friends, these questions were just not that big on Jesus' radar. And he was Jesus. Here's this in this moment, a woman ready to respond, and Jesus says, go get your husband. Now, not only was that a, a, a blowing up, a, a closing the deal, but it was also the wrong question to ask. Because as the woman responds, she says, I have no husband, and she says, yeah, you do. Actually, you had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. Jesus, you really, you cannot be in the selling business. This is not the way you sell your product. You don't bring up the past, and you don't expose people's problems. Just take them for their word. If, they, if the woman said, I have no husband, just believe her. But that's not the way Jesus does it. But you know what? Jesus is not interested in simply fishing for a cheap decision. Jesus is not impressed by superficial enthusiasm that's just on the moment. He wants to address the depthness of the woman's thirst. As a matter of fact, Jesus does not fail to close the deal. Jesus is actually addressing her thirst. Jesus knew her real thirst. But did she? If Jesus is going to give her the living water that satisfies the true thirst of this woman, the woman must come to grips with her real thirst, with her brokenness, with her failed attempts to find meaning in relationships. After five marriages, why commit again to marriage when they don't last? Why not just live with another man and see if it works out? These were the vestiges of her brokenness. These were the reminiscences of her failed attempts to fill her soul and the deep thirsts of her heart. 
Jesus is going to give her living water. Jesus is going to expose the true thirst of her soul. And it's at this point that the conversation takes another unexpected turn. Perhaps we should expect it after everything that Jesus did to expose this woman's sinful past. Now the woman wants to turn the conversation to talk about worship. Is it expected or unexpected turn? Some would say it's unexpected. It, it is expected because the woman being exposed by her sin, by, he, by who she truly was, she's wanting to avoid the conversation and wanting to, to walk away from this exposure. That's possible that that might be one of the reasons. There's another possibility. It's possible that when the woman realizes that Jesus is able to expose her brokenness, she now wants to get Jesus a view about the brokenness of worship that happened between Jews and Samaritans. And really wants to find out where is the truth in this war between Jews and Samaritans. It's possible that both would be reasons why this woman moves away from a, to a different topic. We don't know why. But regardless of the reason, realizing that Jesus must be a prophet... The woman asks him about places of worship. And since Jesus is posed with this question, he's going to answer it in verses 22 to 24. I'm not going to read it. You, it's there for you to read. Now, apparently, this discussion also did not have a very long life. Because as soon as Jesus finishes, his response the woman puts an end to the conversation. Perhaps she felt insulted of Jesus' claim that Samaritans worship what they do not know. Well, that's not a pretty positive thing to say. Or salvation comes from the Jews. Ooh, the ones whom we despise. The very people that we hate, and they hate us back. So this woman is trying to close the conversation. Look at verse 25. The woman said to her, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Now, in every other situation, this line would have brought an end to the dialogue. Except in this case. Because the one she was speaking to was the Messiah. The one she was speaking to was explaining to her the meaning of true worship. The one she was talking to her was explaining to her the brokenness not only of Israel and Samaria, of Judaism and, and Samaritans, of their worship. The one who was speaking to her was explaining to her the brokenness of her own heart, the thirst that she was experiencing herself. It is now that Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah that the entire conversation takes a deeper meaning. Friend, it's the expected Messiah that gives us the living water. He is the gift of God to mankind. Friends, Jesus knows your thirsts, and He wants to give you that which will satisfy your soul. But in that promise, He wants to reveal to you the depthness of your search. And if He uncovers the past, it's not for His knowledge that he does so, but for yours. 
Yes, He uncovers the past and He exposes the sin because He's the light of the world, but He exposes it so He can heal the longings of our souls. Jesus, as the expected Messiah, transforms the qualifications for true worship of God. Our worship of God is no longer tied to sacred places, but it's made possible by the Holy Spirit, and it's made possible based on the truth about who Jesus is. Only those who approach God in this way, in His Spirit, and in the truth He revealed to us, can have any hope of assurance of worshiping God, of fellowshipping with Him. So the incredible thing is a thirsty Jesus gives living water because He's the Messiah. Point two, a thirsty people accepting the gift. As soon as a woman leaves, uh, or as soon as one hears the words of Jesus, um, the expected Messiah, the, the one who identifies himself, she leaves and decides to go back and tell her people. Now John reveals to us what happened between the time the woman left and the time the Samaritans came out. Jesus has a dialogue with the disciples. But this time, it's not about real drink or real water. It's about real food. Remember, his disciples went to town to get food. And when they come back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And they're shocked. They're not going to say anything. But as soon as the woman leaves, Jesus says, come. The disciples say, come eat, Jesus. And Jesus says, I have another food. Just like with the woman, he said to her, even though he was thirsty, I have another water to give. Now to these disciples, even though he was hungry, he says, I have another food to eat. Now what's the food Jesus had? He's quoting, or he's alluding to a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It's the same passage that Jesus used when he responded to the devil in the desert. Let me read this, pas this, verse, this passage in Deuteronomy. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus knew that principle very well, and now he's telling his disciples that for him, his food is to do the will of his father, to do what his father has told him, and to accomplish his work. That's the real food Jesus is talking about. Now for these disciples, Jesus is turning the conversation to a different picture. After talking about the real food, he says, look, the harvest is coming behind you. The Samaritans were coming behind. And Jesus is pointing their attention to them. Look, the harvest is here. The image of Samaritans coming out gives Jesus an opportunity to speak about the work of sowing and reaping. This was an instance when the one who sows shares also the joy of reaping, but it doesn't happen this way all the time. Jesus said that the saying is true that one sows and another reaps. But in this case, both are happening. They see, the one sowing sees the joy of the harvest. Jesus sees the harvest. 
But there's something else that Jesus says. Somebody else sowed, and now I'm inviting you guys, you disciples, into my harvest. Now, who sowed? The Samaritan woman. The harvest of the Samaritans. It was not Jesus. The harvest of the Samaritans was sowed by the Samaritan woman. And that's the amazing part. Jesus did not go into Sychar yet. It was the woman's testimony. She went to the people and said, Come and see a man who told me everything that I have done. Friends, it's great when we reap the harvest that somebody else has sown. I wish I would be there. It's great to do that. Sometimes we're called to sow and not see the harvest. That's the most difficult part. For the disciples, the harvest was right then. They didn't expect it. This instance was an example when the reapers enjoyed the harvest of what someone else had sown. Friends, it was because the woman had testified to the, to the thirst that was just quenched at the well that now there's more harvest happening. How do we know this? Well, the woman left back to town, right? One thing she did is she left the jar at the well. The very object with which she was hoping to quench her physical thirst, she's now leaving at the well because her thirst has been quenched. But it was a thirst of a different kind. Friends, the woman was experiencing in that very moment what Jesus promised, that when he gives a living water, that water becomes in us a spring of water that bubbles up outside. Is this true of you? You know, what's amazing in this chapter 4 is that you, we have to compare chapter 4 with chapter 3. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was supposed to know all these things, and he didn't get it. And there was no harvest after Nicodemus. Not in chapter 3. But here's a woman, exposed by her sin, but willing to receive the water that Jesus has given. And immediately she quenches thirst, and she's now becoming a source of living water for those who still need to have it. Dear friends, it is at this point that the Samaritans come out. They come out, they hear Jesus, and they say, wow, we believe not only because of what the woman said, we now believe that you are the Savior of the world. Another title. This is what John was telling us in chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. These Samaritans... Get it. Friend, this is why Jesus came to the earth, to be the Savior of the, earth, of the world, to save us because the world's most pressing needs is not just economic rescue. It's not just addressing world hunger or stopping war. Although each of these are great longings we should strive to achieve, the world's greatest need is to be redeemed and rescued because our nature at its core has been corrupted. The problems we see in our world are simply an outflow 
of the deeper problems of our own nature. Friends, for those of you who are not Christians, this is how the Bible describes our world. It's a world in need to be saved. It is in this state because even though God created us perfect in His image and in perfect harmony, nevertheless we have rebelled against Him by our own choice. And we triggered His wrath and His judgment because He's perfect in all His excellencies and He's perfect in all His justice. He cannot look at evil and rebellion and not react against it. But He still loved us. And the way His perfect love and His perfect justice met together was by giving us His only Son so that in Him God punished Christ in our place so that He could save a world that deserved God's punishment. That is the gospel we proclaim. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this gospel is only true and only effective for those who actually believe it, for those who turn away from their sin, for those who turn away from their rebellion and turn instead to Christ and believe that Christ is the only one who was able to pay the penalty of our judgment, of the wrath we deserved. My dear friend, if you believe this truth to be the case, I invite you, I commend you, I encourage you, come to Jesus. Respond to Him. It's a prayer in your heart. It's something you speak to Him from the bottom of your heart. Speak to Him. Respond to Him. It is the gift of God to you. Why would you reject it? A thirsty Jesus giving living water. Now we see thirsty people accepting the gift. Let me ask you, what is keeping you away from believing? What is keeping you away from believing? Jesus stands out after this whole event in Samaria. And then there's this other story at the end of chapter 4, and it's as if it has no meaning. What is it doing here? Jesus healing another, the son of another man, a royal official. But it has a great purpose in the whole scheme of chapter 4 because Jesus now goes back to his own people. He leaves Samaria. He goes back to his own people. And what he encounters is hardness of heart. People who are unwilling to believe unless they see a miracle. And yet this royal official, rebuked as he was, because Jesus was speaking to him, at this moment, he believes the words of Jesus. Jesus says, go and your son will be healed. And this man just trusts the words of Jesus before he could see whether or not the miracle took place. See, here's the point of this whole chapter. The only people in the book of John who believe Jesus at his word without seeing or needing miracles are the Samaritans. For everybody else, for his own people, Jesus had to say, believe in me, look at me, I am truly who I claim to be. The only ones in the book of John, of God, the Gospel of John, that need a miracle to believe is the very people that Jesus belonged to, his own. That's why what John began, he came to his own, but his own received him not. 
And the very ones who accepted him without needing the miracles are the very people whom the Jews despised. The grace of God. Friend, let me ask you this morning, what's keeping you away from believing? What's keeping you away to live a life that is full of the living water that transforms the thirst of your life into a source of water for others that's bubbling up into eternal life? I pray that if you have come to know Jesus, that that water would be overflowing and your cup would be bubbling up. And I pray that if you don't know Jesus, today would be the day when you leave your water jar here and go home with a heart that has been filled by the living water that Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world, can give you today. That's his gift to you. Let us pray.